0: Well, this far we have been exploring kind of the heart and soul of Jesus by looking at six miracle stories preserved for us in the Gospels. And this morning's miracle is the fifth. It's from Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. Next week we're going to finish up this short series with Mark chapter 5 and Jesus' encounter with a man called the Gerasene demoniac. But let's open our hearts now to the Holy Spirit as we hear from Luke chapter 13. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all, and when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your own ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, shouldn't she be free, set free on the Sabbath from what bounds her? When he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Amen. This is God's word. One of the most compelling characters in literature is Victor Hugo's Quasimodo, also known as the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Not the Disney cartoon version that pretties up the story and kind of ties a nice little happy face at the end. Uh, If you've ever read the novel or seen one of the more original black and white versions of the movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's a tragic story of unrequited love and terrible injustice. It's been known to bring its readers to tears. Quasimodo is the son of an outcast gypsy woman who is murdered when Quasimodo is only an infant and no one wants him because of his deformity, but he's rescued by the archdeacon of the Cathedral of Notre Dame and he lives his whole life within the security and safety of the church. He doesn't even know that his body is twisted and gnarled in ways that would make him an outcast in the wider world. As long as he stays in the cathedral, he's fine, but as the story progresses, of course, he does venture out into the city. Things go very badly. He's arrested. He gets sentenced to be flogged. Quasimodo is paraded through the streets, uh, and put in the stocks in the public square to be publicly humiliated and mocked and Taunted by the crowd because they think he's grotesque. They call him the Pope of Fools and crown him that way. They say he's the ugliest person in Paris. As he's being mocked, a young Romani woman named Esmeralda sees his pain and his thirst, brings him water, and her simple act of kindness just captures his heart. Eventually, Quasimodo is sent back to Notre Dame because someone as hideous and deformed as he is should simply stay out of sight. Well, in the original novel, it doesn't end well for Quasimodo or for Esmeralda. But over the years, people have seen parallels between Quasimodo and Jesus in their suffering. The officials marched him down the streets, not the streets of Paris, but the streets of Jerusalem. Like with Quasimodo, the the crowd heaps insults on Jesus, mocks him as a king. Jesus was publicly humiliated, tortured, beaten. When he was on the cross in agony, someone saw his distress and offered him a sponge to wet his parched lips. Writing more than 600 years before Jesus even walked this earth, the prophet Isaiah described the Messiah's future sufferings this way. This is Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, The iniquity of us all jesus knew the kind of loneliness and pain that was trapped inside quasimodo's body and it was because that one day jesus would himself be shoved aside and treated miserably treated as expendable that i think his heart went out to this hunchback woman that he noticed while teaching at the synagogue severely disfigured bent over alone we're told that for 18 years she has felt the misery of a condition that no one could cure People saw her as cursed by God, malformed. They would have avoided any physical contact with her out of fear that they might catch whatever she had, whatever disease, or be contaminated by whatever sin that she was being cursed for. She carried that physical and emotional pain and false shame every waking minute for the last 18 years. But this time, she was probably used to the harsh reality that people would never look at her as a person in need of compassion. She was a Freak, she was an oddity. Maybe someone would offer her pity, but no one would really offer her compassion. We're told she wasn't born this way. Her disease came on later in life, and so she suffered also from the memory of life before her condition. She knew what it was like to look up at the stars and to see the heavens. And now she couldn't even see a sunset or birds in flight. She was so severely bent over, all she could do was stare at the ground. Like we've seen in other miracle stories in this series, some people would have thought that that, she, that, that demons deformed her, that, that it's something way which she sinned. Others thought maybe she was being judged by God for some ancestral sin. But Jesus knew differently. He knew she deserved dignity and love no matter what disease she suffered. Jesus had compassion, compassion. He didn't shy away from her disease, her past, her pain. He wasn't repulsed by how she looked. He wasn't frightened of the demons that some people said possessed her. Jesus put his hands on her as an act of acceptance and said, Woman, you are free. In so many ways, Jesus was ahead of his time. I read that the Association for Psychological Science did a study on how compassion actually changes our brain function. When a person shows compassion, that empathy actually activates the pleasure center in your own brain. The study determined that people really are actually happier when they show compassion. We, we find greater happiness when we give to the needy rather than when we receive. It is better to give than to receive. Sounds like something Jesus would say. Actually, He did in Acts 20, verse 35. It is better to give than to receive. It actually makes you happier to be compassionate and to give. And listen, I want you to be happy, so we're going to take up a second offering. I want you to get. so I, I want you to go home as happy as a clam, you know. The point, you think I'm kidding? Maybe we should really do it. I don't know. The point is, when you have compassion, there's a dual benefit. It changes you, and it shapes the person who is in need. So how does Jesus' kind of compassion work? Well, first of all, he sees her. He sees her. He notices her. He really sees this woman. I mean, she's been coming to this temple for probably 18 years but the people no longer saw her. I mean, they probably saw her enough to avoid bumping into her, but they never saw her as a real person, as a valuable person, to be treated with dignity. She was just part of the scenery, kind of faded into the wallpaper, so to speak. But Jesus saw her. And so right in the middle of his teaching, he just stops. His eyes are fixed on her, and everybody in the synagogue is kind of turning around, wondering, well, who's he staring at? Even the woman, she's not even going to know that, that she's now the center of attention. Jesus sees her sees her need, and he has compassion. The next thing we're told that Jesus does is that he speaks to her. He calls her forward, we're told in verse 12. There's nothing in the Scripture text that indicates that the woman came to the Sabbath service intending to be healed. She wasn't seeking it. She didn't come to the synagogue in order to be healed She did nothing to even try and get Jesus' attention, not like blind Bartimaeus. Remember, he was in the back waving, yelling at the top of his lungs, or or Jairus, who boldly steps up to Jesus and demands help, or even the woman who kind of snaked her way through the crowd and reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' cloak. This woman was just there as a regular member of the congregation, and so she just had hobbled in and was sitting by herself in her usual row in the back. She hears Jesus saying, you there, lady, in the back, yeah, you. She can't even look up to see who's calling her. But she's got to be wondering, why is he calling me? What have I done wrong this time? Somehow, she finds the courage to hobble to the front. And without much fanfare, Jesus speaks to her and again says, Woman, you are free. Now, the Greek verb that Jesus uses here is apoluo. It's a fairly common word in the New Testament. It simply means to be free from can be used as a legal term for someone who is set free from prison or who receives a pardon for their crime. It can also mean someone who's released from like a painful condition, like if you found an animal in a trap and you open the trap and set that animal free. It can also mean to send away or to dismiss, like it's Friday at 4 o'clock and your boss says, everybody go home, you're loose, the job is finished, you're free to go. The idea of setting people free is so important in what Jesus means in compassion. When Jesus publicly announced his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he says he came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. It's the same word, set free. In this particular case, I think Jesus just couldn't stand to see this woman trapped like that in her own body, and so he set her free. That compassion was coupled with action. It's just part of the basic character of Jesus. First John 3.8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Same word, destroy there. It's to loose or to set free. Jesus in the story is just simply doing what he came to do, to free this woman from the bondage of evil. In Acts 10.38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Jesus is the one who breaks the power of the evil one. Now, Jesus isn't done speaking to the woman. While she's still in earshot, he has to deal with this hard-headed and hard-hearted synagogue leader who kind of objects now to the healing. And Jesus refers to the woman as a daughter of Abraham. Now listen to this. That phrase, daughter of Abraham, it is totally unique to Jesus. Totally unique. It does not appear anywhere else in Scripture, anywhere else in all of ancient Jewish literature, anywhere else in any ancient literature that we know of so far. Nowhere else. Jesus was the only one to use this phrase. No one one else ever spoke about women like Jesus did. Sure, men were sons of Abraham, Only Jesus welcomed women into that circle. In the first century, people often thought that salvation came to women only through their husbands or the head of the household. And we see that teaching today in Islam and in the Mormon church where women are saved only through their fathers or the male head of the house or through their husbands. They're not saved on their own. They don't have their own direct relationship with God. Jesus saw that differently. To him, she was equal She was equal in a covenant relationship with God, just like the men. And so do you see how he lifted her up, not just in straightening her spine, but in giving her tremendous value before the Lord? Jesus is full of compassion. He sees her, he speaks to her, and then he touches her. He gently lays his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight praises God. Immediately, it's like her spine unlocks. She practically springs up straight up like a jack like in a box coming out of the can, you know, kind of boing. All of a sudden, she feels that release, and immediately, spontaneously, she praises God. Now, Jesus didn't need to touch her. As we've seen in other places in the Gospels, he can heal just by willing it. He can heal by speaking it. He could heal at a distance. He did not need to touch her, but he did, Because I wonder how long it had been since she had experienced a gentle, caring human touch. She needed the touch. It was part of her healing to have this physical connection with Jesus. And after Jesus' touch for the first time in 18 years, this daughter of Abraham straightened her back. She stretched to her full height. And among the sons of Abraham, maybe some of whom were now hanging their heads in shame, she held her head high and she gave glory to God. Nothing honors the Savior any more than a heart of gratitude and a spirit of praise. She could claim as her own Psalm 146, verse 8, which says, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Jesus had compassion. He saw, he spoke, he touched. And too many people go through life never really experiencing the compassion of Christ. Sure, we talk about it, we hear about it, we sing about it, but in reality people don't often don't always enter in the compassion of Jesus for themselves or do they see themselves as a conduit of that compassion to others. Sometimes we are all just too much like that synagogue official whom Jesus confronted as a hypocrite, a play actor. Christians we can be hypocrites because we're supposed to be helping people come to know what it's like to be loved by Jesus. And that can only happen when we treat them with a similar love. We demonstrate Christ's love for them when we see people, when we speak to them and touch them in compassionate ways. So we've got to be careful about restricting our sense of compassion only to certain groups of people who we think deserve it. And subtly and maybe not so suddenly, Christians are sometimes the ones who are withholding compassion from people because we don't think they deserve it. And that is not what Christ wants. In this world, there's always going to be someone who finds a reason to withhold compassion. In this story, it was the man who was the leader of the synagogue. And we have to be careful about slipping into his attitude of the synagogue official because he just had this checklist about who should or who should not be a recipient of God's love. In his mind, only those who follow the rules. Those are the ones who deserve compassion. Rule breakers, you go to the end of the line. The whole point of grace is that it goes to those who don't deserve it. Grace flows to those who don't follow the rules. The compassion of Jesus always flows to those who don't deserve it. What's interesting in this story is that the synagogue leader doesn't reprimand Jesus. He wags his finger at the crowd, scolds them. He says, come back the other six days of the week, but not on the Sabbath. Don't violate our traditions. In effect, what he's saying is that their religious rules were more important than the real needs of people, that their kind of protecting the institution was more important than the needs of the congregation. Now, we have to understand that on the surface, maybe his motives were good. He's trying to protect what he believed was taught by Scripture, but his understanding of Scripture, his whole approach to God, it's all mixed up. He missed the whole point of actually, why do they have a Sabbath? Because it's a time when people are supposed to connect with God And worship him. And that's exactly what happened right in front of his eyes. This woman connected with God, worshiped from the depths of her heart, praised him, and the synagogue leader. He should have been right at her side praising God too, and he wasn't. He was in worship, he was in worship, but he wasn't worshiping. He was grading what was going on. Do you ever do that? You're in worship, but you're not really worshiping? You see, he missed his chance to experience the reality of God's compassion. There's a story that's been published in a number of places like Reader's Digest and the Huffington Post, so I think this is a true story. You can't always always tell these days. It's about a guy named Joe Cerna. Joe's a veteran, a retired Special Forces soldier with three tours in Afghanistan, two Purple Hearts. One Purple Heart was for a bomb that exploded so close it knocked out all his teeth. Joe's 18 years of combat caused him to have feelings that He could not put into words. The trauma he experienced was still very real in his head when he came home. And so he he started to dull that pain with alcohol. It eventually caught up to him and landed him in Veterans Treatment Court. Joe showed promise in the program, and one of the conditions of his parole was to not use any drugs or alcohol. And one of his tests revealed alcohol, so he gets hauled before a judge again when he got in front of the judge, he lied. He said, must have been the cough syrup. You know, I know some of you have used that excuse probably. But the next week, he voluntarily went back to the same judge and he said, your honor, I lied last week. I was drinking. And so the judge sentenced him to 24 hours in jail. Doesn't sound like much, but it was very bad for Joe because one of his greatest fears was confined spaces. In Afghanistan, he'd once been trapped in a truck that had overturned in a canal, and he'd almost drowned in that watery tomb. And so he had still had all these terrifying flashbacks whenever he was in a tight space, like a jail cell. So when he arrived at his cell, wearing his orange jumpsuit, he was sweating bullets. The jailer opened the door, he goes inside, and there's the judge, just dressed in his street clothes. And Joe walks in, and the jailer closes the door, and he says, Judge, what you, and the judge interrupted him, I'm Lou, he said. Lou, the judge, knew about Joe's PTSD and his fear of confined spaces. The judge was also a former soldier who had fought in Operation Desert Storm. So he decided to sit out Joe's sentence with him so that he wouldn't have to be afraid. He said to Joe, we never leave a man behind. So they talked long into the night about their wars, their struggles, their pain, their camaraderie and respect, and finally Joe, uh, Judge Lou kind of rolled up his suit coat and put, used it as a pillow on the floor, and Joe said, no, you take the tot. He said, no, 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 I've slept on worse. And that one night of compassion transformed Joe. He went on to graduate from college, took over his father's construction business. He left that cell a different man because of one act of compassion. Judge Lou entered into his pain, and compassion changed everything. Jesus entered into the agony of this woman, and his compassion changed her forever. We can see the impact on the world, too, if we have compassion like Jesus when we see people. The fact that Jesus sees this woman implies that he was looking for opportunities to demonstrate his Father's love. How about you? During the week, do you actively look for opportunities to demonstrate God's love? Are you just kind of wrapped up in your own schedule, your own problems? You don't even see the needs of the people around you. I don't mean just random people that you pass on the street. Do you really see the needs of the people who are closest to you? Do you really see what's going on in your family or your spouse or your best friends? Do you see their real struggles? Or are you rushing past each other every day without really seeing who they are? Are you willing to speak words of affirmation and grace? Encouragement. Are you willing to touch, connect, physically communicate your presence and your caring? Are you willing to give grace to people who don't deserve it? During that woman's 18 years of torment, she saw 936 Sabbaths come and go. But that one day changed everything. One act of compassion by Jesus, and it gave birth to a whole new world. Compassion is so powerful. Folks, let the compassion of Jesus happen to you but also let it happen through you see and speak and touch in his name this week the compassion of jesus friends it is the only thing that can transform the human heart let's pray lord i thank you for this simple but yet again such an amazing story of revealing your character and who you are and your heart for people the way you raise up their dignity and and treat people with love, and how your compassion can change a whole life, Lord. We thank you that we can be the recipients of that compassion, but we can also be a conduit of sharing that compassion with others, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to speak words of goodness and grace. Help us to touch with the grace of God, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.